Again, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is feeling well today. And I hope you've been reflecting on mindful of um, non-self, emptiness, voidness. And I hope you've also been reflecting on mindful on what is it that you personally are still clinging to as far as the aggregates are concerned. So have you been thinking about that? Yes? Good. So first to, to note the importance of, of working with studying and reflecting on the five aggregates of clinging is because these, the understanding and the practice of not allowing self to reside over your reactions and intentions is what is at the base or foundation of what we call the Buddha Dasa, the teachings of the Buddha. Because it's all about suffering. Now, of course, everyone groans when you, when you say, well, I'm going to teach on Buddhism because the first thing is like, oh, we're going to talk about suffering again. I don't want to hear that. But the reason that that's the focal point of conversation and study is because that's the problem. Happiness is not the problem. Contentment is not the problem. Love is not the problem. Suffering is the problem. And so this is the thing to talk about. And when all of you no longer suffer, then there's no reason for us to talk about it anymore. So the quicker you get to that point of contentment, <laughs> the quicker we can close up the book <laughs> and have fun. Okay. So I'm going to read a sutta call that's entitled Flowers because I think it gives uh, a, another point of view about the aggregates, another point of view about the teachings of the Buddha. It says, at Savati, disciples, I do not dispute with the world, rather it is the world that disputes with me. A proponent of the Dharma does not dispute with anyone in the world, of that which the wise in the world agree upon as not existing. I too say that it does not exist, and if that which the wise in the world agree upon as existing, I too say that it does exist. Now here's what I want you to listen to very carefully. And what is it, disciples, that the wise in the world agree upon as not, as not existing? of which I too say that it does not exist. Form that is permanent. So now, right away you hear that it is not form that doesn't exist, but it is form that is not permanent that doesn't exist. So this allows us a little wiggle room to hold on to things, right? Form that is permanent, stable, eternal, not subject to change. Okay? Now, I think that when we hear it this way, we're more able to look at what we perceive form to be and agree or disagree with this assessment. Okay? Form that is permanent, stable, eternal, not subject to change. This is the why this the wise in the world agree upon as not existing. And I too say that it does not exist. Feeling, perception, volitional formations, consciousness that is permanent, stable, eternal, not subject to change. This the wise in the world agree upon as not existent, and I too say that it is not exist, that it does not exist. All right. Now, what is it that you do not agree with in, that, in those comments? 
What is it in the five aggregates that you see as permanent, stable, eternal, non-changing? Hmm? The ego. No, if, if, if the ego was non-changing and permanent and eternal, we wouldn't be able to get rid of the ego, the I. I misunderstood what you said. Oh, okay. All right. Well, again, if that was unchangeable, then suffering would be inevitable, and it would be no point in that we could be watching cartoons this morning. You know, we could be doing something else this morning. The, the key points are, are two, in my opinion. One, that suffering exists, and two, that it can be quenched. Again, everybody knows that suffering exists because everyone suffers from time to time, some more frequently than others, but the point is we've all had our share of unhappiness. But the main point of this philosophy is that that can be quenched, that that can be changed, that you don't have to suffer, that suffering is optional. That is the liberator. So if we can come up with something that can't be changed that causes us to suffer, then the rest of this is pointless. It's just dialogue, it's just diatribe, it's just conversation, it's just mental masturbation. Yeah? So there are two things to remember, that one, there is suffering in the world, and two, it can be eliminated. Now, studying the aggregates, which has to do with ego, by the way, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this concept of I, me, mine, excuse me, Yes. Now, I'm sorry. I I forgot I told you to hold on a minute. Please wait for the mic if it's at all possible. (laughs) And hold it up so I can hear it. Um, I was going to say the one thing that is a definite is change. Mm -hmm. Just change. Change in your perception. Change that you're not in control of and how you perceive it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So who is it here that has adopted form as something that's essential and being me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, now let's let's discuss this for a minute because remember the that wasn't a question, Silva. It, it was just a response to a question. Thank you. So the Buddha says is what is impermanent suffering, and non-self worthy to be called I or me or self? Worthy to be called? Yes? I think I have the answer to your question about what is permanent. Okay. Nothing in this world is permanent. And that's the truth about it. Nothing in existence can be permanent. Although Newton's laws say that nothing can be created nor destroyed, that's not true. Everything here will someday just disappear and not exist anymore. So okay. It's permanent. All right. So then the question is, why do we cling to something that sifts through our fingers like sand? Why do we hope and pray and sing and bow and scrape to the possibility that this might last forever. Why do we do that? What, why, what's, what's the point? If we understand 
Well, first of all, let's, let's take a poll. Does everyone agree that nothing is permanent in this, re in this conditioned reality? That in this duality, there is a plus and a minus, or a black and a white, or a good and a bad. But that goes to what I said, because what I said about the fact that the only thing that is permanent is change, which ties into that, but it's still not a, it's, it's not a touchable. It ties kind of into the same thing. The permanence is change, which leads to impermanence, which just really does, I guess, become that goal. Yeah. It's a really heavy subject. Yeah, yeah. So again, the question to ask ourselves is, well, why do we hold on to things that are not permanent? Because that brings suffering. Change brings suffering. So we have a concept that says, why do we hold on to it? Well, we hold on to it primarily because Form and consciousness and perception and volition and consciousness brings joy and pleasure. So there are times when we have fun with the body. We have fun with the mind. We have fun with awareness. We have fun with memory. Sometimes, most times, for some. But because there's impermanence, that means that that joy and that pleasure that I garner from being attached to form and, and, and being so pleased with myself as I look in the mirror and I flex and go, boy, that's great. Look at that. You know? You know, no fat. Zero percent fat. You know? That that's going to change. And when it does, I become unhappy. When I become sick, I become unhappy. You know, because I'm holding on to the, the idea that I will, if I take enough vitamins, if I do enough doctor visits, if I do enough exercise, that the body will never fall apart on me. And you are? Okay. <laughs> All right. What is it that you'd like to disagree with? When I think about body and change, what I'm thinking about is the miracle of the body and its ability to change. And whether I'm healthy or I'm sick or I'm injured or, you know, one morning I look uglier than, you know, another morning, whatever. I think that's the part of coming to grips about why I'm so clinging to form. You think that that's a part of what makes form beautiful? Is that what yes. you're saying? Okay. All right. Well, then, then form is not your problem. <laughs> okay. But for the majority of people in this reality, you know, we, we see the, the fight against aging, you know, running, getting pills, and running and getting procedures done. Um, we're probably one of the few cultures in this reality that push our elders to a place where we can't see them because it reminds us of where we'll be one day. And we don't want to be reminded of that. We want to see billboards and placards that talk about youth and skinny jeans and, <laughs> you know, fun and dancing. You know, and one of the one of the promises with all of the alcohol commercials is if you drink responsibly, you will have fun. You know, you know, you never see anyone in a commercial puking. <laughs> you know, they're all laughing and dancing and happy. Yes. Because we're addicted to that feeling good. Yes. We're addicted to feeling good. Okay. The example I could use is like the tools for that. Like my surfboard is forever getting dings, and I suffer every time. You know, I hear it hit the car. I'm like, oh God, that's another forty dollar repair. You know, mm -hmm. it, because that brings me so much pleasure. 
It's mm-hmm. like a high of riding a wave and, you know, toys. Yeah, well, this is true, and we agree with that, that the form does bring pleasure and joy. But we also are agreeing that with impermanence as a part of the formula, that joy and pleasure that we experience from time to time is going to go away. Something's going to happen to it. It's going right. to get cracked. It's going right. to get stolen. Right. It's going to be repossessed. Right? Right. If we are, if we are able to see it as it is, we're talking about erasing the delusion of the aggregates. That is their eternalism, their permanency. To seeing them as they are, then there's no danger because we have let them go. There's no danger. There's no suffering involved because we knew one day that we would wrinkle. We knew one day we would shrivel up. We knew one day we would get weaker. We knew one day we would die. And when we know that, when we have no illusion about that, when we are not fearful of that because we realize that it's just a part of the process of change and evolution. That in order to have summer, we have to have fall and winter and spring. In order to have day, we have to have night. You know? So, in understanding that, we do not fight against the truth of reality. We understand the truth of reality. And when we understand the truth of reality, we don't suffer. It's just another day. Going on with that, there really is no such thing as like pleasure if there's no pain. Because if there's no pain, then how can we appreciate the joy if we don't suffer? If Unless there's bad times, then if all times were good times, then it would be like boring and we would and we and people would honestly get bored of being happy and that would end up putting everyone in depression and since depression isn't that good since depression is not good that's a point of view that's a point of view and you're absolutely right the expression of it is for some you see but the the development of equanimity is a necessity because that truth or that axiom that says we need good and bad or up and down to understand what up is and what down is. You see, but do I really need that? Some do. You know, some do. But some understand that in this conditional reality that has duality as an, as an associative reality to it, we are going to get down. That, that is a part of the nature of change. That up or down or good and bad or nice and unnice is not going to stay the same forever. It's going to change. That's the truth. Um, and we've discussed this, and I appreciate your, your cognitive discussion, your deep intellectual side. It also comes down to acceptance and equanimity being a balance, but it comes down to isn't suffering essentially the label and egotistical perception of what has happened? Two people can look at the exact same experience and you can either take it as an obstacle that was a suckish hell nightmare, Mm -hmm. an opportunity. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can go out and I can go hiking for miles and find that as a blessing from the universe and my body's with me today and it's great. And then I know people who are like, my life would be a sheer hell if my joy and pleasure was to go out for six miles and go hiking when it's 20 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same physical experience. Mm -hmm. It's the label that causes the suffering, not the activity, which the label itself is your perception and your ego that gets involved and raptured, which if I'm understanding some of our conversation, 
is essentially the source of your suffering anyway. It's the label and your ego and the lack of equanimity of saying it is what it is. The source of our suffering is clinging and the self is what clings. So all of those perceptions are great. All of those perceptions are great and all of those perceptions are true. But as Dina mentioned, sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation that we don't like because we don't like the situation and we don't accept it, so we suffer. Where someone else comes into the same situation and it's fine, it's okay. We've heard about people who have had life-changing experiences or near-death experiences or terminal experiences where they recover and they are an entirely changed person because of the experience. You know, they have cancer and they grow out of that a changed and different person as how do they relate to the world and relate to other people. Other people bitch and moan because they have cancer. See? What I recommend is that all of you who are still suffering, Look at the suffering and discover the self that's embedded in it. Because whenever there's suffering, there's always going to be an I that has a grievance. I don't like this. Why did you do this to me? Why don't you love me the way I want you to? I. Me. Mine. Self. Whenever you feel displeasure in life, and again, what we have discussed today is that it's not about what is happening or not happening. It's about how we want it to be or not to be that causes us the problem. And it's that self, that I, that ego, that me, that mind, is the thing that struggles. And that self that me, that mind, that I is created by my belief in the five aggregates. That's why we have to tear them down. That's what causes the continued recyclingness of life and death. And if you look and study the dependent origination in the last third of dependent origination is the aggregates. With clean, there is suffering. With suffering, there is existence. With existence, there is birth. With birth, there is sorrow, lamentation, despair. So, again, the promise is, the promise of the practice, yes? I just have a question. Okay, okay. so you get to the point where you, you, you see yourself suffering. You make the change. You put a check next to it, okay? So when you do that, then it's your ego's involved in it. So how do you get beyond that? In other words, you see... You feel, you think you've changed, and you move on, but then you're going to have an, for me. Do <laughs> mm, you have another episode? You have another, where you really go, ah, the aha. But you want to get rid of the e ego in the, in, in the process of doing that. There is... This place, and this is what is called the void or the empty, where the ego does not exist, but that awareness exists. And what we come to conclude eventually in our study and our practice is that that awareness is all that there is. But it is not me. You see, it's just awareness. Because as soon as I make it I, then I make it ego. I make it a small I, as opposed to the inclusive 
presence awareness. So as long as it contains me, as long as I am a part of the formula, I got a problem. Because it's going to keep coming back. It's only when I let go of, when I am free from the concept of ego, the concept of self that makes me have a concept of me and a concept of mine, what belongs to the self. So this is what starts the wars and this is what starts the arguments. That belief. And when I let it go, when I'm free from it, when I'm liberated from it, when I've abandoned it, when I've turned my back on the concept or the truth or the belief that there is a self and soul that exists, then I will be free to enter into that spaciousness of emptiness or voidness or egolessness. It's hard to do because we have been bombarded with things like self-awareness, self-confidence. You know, we've been told that this is what it's all about. And we've, we've invested in it. So it's very difficult to let it go. We spend so much time building it and developing it. That, that whole boundary issue which says there's a you and there's a boundary and there's a me and that I must protect it under all circumstances. But what you're really doing is protecting the ego. I just have one more. So in other words, you, can't, you, re- you realize it, but then it becomes part of who you are, so there's, n- there's, not, there's not either way. There's just that you're just going along without like patting yourself on the back. or If you pat yourself on the back, there's, there's a you again. There's a problem. Right. But when you get beyond that and you just, it doesn't go either way. It's just part of your life. You're just flowing where before you weren't, but now you are. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> That's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to be because then you see that the freedom is, is that you realize you've got a choice. I mean, before that, when we have bad days, we have bad days and we suffer with them. And we, we try to turn on TV and we try to entertain ourselves and we try to call our friends and we try to get a drink and we try to get a drug to bring ourselves out of that condition. But now we realize the condition is created by mind and I can uncreate it by mind. It is, it is my picture. It is my creation, manifestation of my moment, and I can make it anything I want it to be. These are the powers that come out of the philosophy that we call the Dharma. Yes? You can tell me to duct tape my mouth right now, Vanadeva. Ready? Do you personally, or does someone who's in your robes ever get tripped up by life like the rest of us do, or do you truly, and I, you can say Shut the hell up. I don't care. But it's an honest question that that's it. That's the question. Do you ever struggle with the same thing and have to remind yourself, Panawati, don't call her out, but honestly, when we think that we're doing well and then it hits the fan, do you just have, have you unplugged the fan? (laughs) What I've noticed is that the things that used to trip me up don't. That I can see them coming. I, I recognize them that, oh, there you are. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and here's another thing that used to make me act this way. Okay? So it's not that I'm exempt that, that they no longer cross my mind, but that's the only place they come across. It's a mind. I don't vomit on the world. But I go, oh, I see you. You're trying to trick me again. You got on a different suit. You, you talk differently. You got a different accent. But I recognize you because it's the same old game. Right? 
I see what you're doing, and I'm not going to play. But thank, thank you. you for coming. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for that, because I find you to be the most spiritually enlightened being I've ever met. So oh, thank my you. goodness. No, see? <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> Are you telling me I need to get out more? <laughs> no, I'm saying that that's what <laughs> does a person in when they begin to believe that they're the most, they're the best, and <laughs> they're better than others. Then you Different. Then, then Different then, plane of reality. Then, you, then you're right back in that same game again. You know, that's, that's the thing. In the Muslim religion, when someone told you that you're the best, you're the best teacher, you're the best this, you're the best... They would say, inshallah, if it's God's will. You know. In the Buddhist philosophy, we just smile and laugh. <laughs> 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 because it's not up to anyone but ourselves. Yeah. But you see, if It's about not, not needing to be applauded. You know, those of you who have been with me for a long time know that whether there's one here or whether there's 100 here, it's okay. Either way. Whether no. Look to you as kind of that light of Okay. And if I embrace that, then I fall into the trap. I'm saying, I, I hear you and I appreciate you, but I'm not going to hug it. You know, I'm not going to own it. sometimes to see it coming because the, again the mind says well what's wrong with accepting uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for a compliment Yeah. what's wrong with accepting a compliment that's all Dina was doing was complimenting you saying her observation was this way and that way well, what's wrong with that what's wrong with it is that it's a trap that's all no, 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 no. No, because I'm, it's, not, it's not there to flog you with it, you know. It's there just to say, that's, that's just another trap. Hmm? But thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah? Did I, did I understand correctly in the beginning of the... Um, of the talk today, that consciousness is one of the impermanents? Sense consciousness. Please define Eyes, sense consciousness. Nose, okay. ear, okay. taste, body, mind. And sense consciousness as opposed to fill-in-the-blank consciousness. As opposed to another awareness, another possibility of awareness. That that awareness that says, who is this that's looking at the person that's looking at TV? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the reason I ask this is that um, when we start our, when we begin our recitation or chant, um, the one who bows and the one who bows to and so on, I think one could substitute the action verb bows to anything. And, to that, anything. and there's a very quick story about an astrophysicist who was lying on her back at, and uh, in the collection of great observatories high in the Andes of Chile. 
And in the Southern Hemisphere, the the, the Milky Way is so much brighter. Mm-hmm. And in that bl- uh, ink black environment, and with this with this galaxy over her head, and she just stared up into it. And after a while, she discovered she had completely dissolved. Yeah. And the, and so the one who observed and the and that which was observed were by no were by nature empty and the same. Empty of self. And just pure awareness. That's all. And as we learn more and more about about quantum wave theory and and how pervasive in fact everything could very well be quantum wave theory, including Consciousness, non-locality, a, a whole a non-locality, mm-hmm. a whole new discipline of consciousness of what consciousness may be is it's not opening new. up. That's 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 the, that's the good news. It's not new. They knew it thousands of years ago. Science is just catching up with them. And exactly, and, 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 and validating it's finding it. It's finding it, and it's yes. and it's. Giving us an anchor to hold on to, to strive for, because we can say, yeah, they said that 2,000 years ago, and now the quantum physicists are saying the same thing. Yeah. And Thank so you. in this near-death experience, that's why, and so it, yeah. it appears that consciousness may not be impermanent yeah. at all. So the, co- the, the, the unified field, that consciousness, which, which is, you know, and, and a, it's like, why do you want to be a little bit of consciousness? Why do you want to hold on to that when you can be everything? You can be everything. You can be the wave or the particle, or what became it before the wave or particle, or where the particle and the wave came from what that unmanifested existence is. Now, how can you have unmanifested existence? You can't have it. Because then you become a part of the pool. You become a part of the ocean. You don't, you're not a wave. You're not a drop. You're not a sprinkle. You're just ocean. And that's what we always are. We, we, we've separated ourselves, you see, because of our need to be an individual and our need to protect the self. We build the walls, but it's artificial. That's why it hurts us all the time. That's why we're not comfortable with it. That's why it doesn't bring us any happiness. Separation doesn't bring us any happiness. We're always trying to get together with something. We're always trying to get things to see whether we can become happy or not. But we're happy because of our separation. Our fall from heaven, our fall from grace, our eating of the apple and becoming aware that I am naked. And what we have to do is to return home That's what we're talking about. And so whenever we feel ourselves in a state of discontent, in a state of argumentative necessity of this is the right thing to do, like I said, just look for the eye in that because the eye is there. Because if there's no eye and there's no self and there's no me and there's no mind, there's no grieving There's no grief. There's no complaints. Because there just is-ness. There's not me being and having an experience. There's just experience. Not me. Okay? And it's all good. That's the point. It's all good. That's what equanimity does for us. Whoa. I love this stuff. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, does 
form, feeling, perception, volition, and sense consciousness. The five aggregates. They're all impermanent. They all come and go. They're all non-self. And if we cling to them, if we hold on to them, they make us suffer. Can you remember that? Okay. Has everyone remembered to do their loving kindness, thoughtfulness, mindfulness every day? Did you send some love down to the folk in Miami, Florida? Okay. It's always important to send love to all of those that we are aware that are suffering. That's what those experiences are for, to give us the opportunity to get into our heart and think about someone else. And when we're thinking about someone else, who are we not thinking about? There you go. It's just another remedy. It's just another exercise in losing the me, losing the I, losing my, my gripes, my, what I want, what I want to see, what I want to do. And to think about the other. And it all just disappears. It's just stars. It's just awareness. Any questions? (laughs) 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 No, I'm not. I'm I'm being polite. (laughs) I'm saying that there might be. And this is important. Again, going back to the very beginning of this session, the foundational import of Dharma is to understand that suffering is optional. I get calls every day from people all around the world who have problems who are suffering. And uh, I don't want anyone here to suffer. It's not that I don't want anyone here to have problems, but problems don't make us suffer. We make us suffer because we don't want the problem. We don't want the challenge. We want to be happy. We want to play. We want people to love us. We want people to appreciate us. We want people to accept us. And that is not the truth of this conditioned reality. As Dina said and as others have said, we, as we walk the street, there will be people who will smile at us and there will be people who will spit on us. Not that we've done a thing to them. That's just the way the world is. Bridges fall on all people. Wars happen to everybody. Hate comes to everybody. It is not that hate comes to us. It's what do we do with the hate that comes. If we can stay in our hearts, that's what's important. That's the only reason we're having the experience. You see, because if we never had anyone to hate us, we would not have a problem. Okay. That's all right. It's okay. (laughs) We would not have a problem. If everyone always loved us and respected us and complimented us, we would not have a problem because that would be ideal for us. But that's not the world. And it is for us to stay in our hearts, in spite of the fact that other people have forgotten to stay in theirs. It is for us to build bridges, in spite of the fact that other people want to build walls. There is nothing new about people hating you and they don't even know you. 
That's been here since the beginning of time. That's been here when it was only brothers and brothers, Cain and Abel. The test and the practice is to not allow your mind to be affected by someone else's pettiness, smallness, hatefulness, misunderstanding, but to stay in your heart and deal with it from there. Okay. Can we take 10 minutes to go into the heart, send some love to him? Can we do that? Now, we, we learned mm, Thursday that there were 22 different subjects that we can use to do loving-kindness meditation. So you can go with directions, you can go with sentience, you can go with... So many different expressions of how to send love to others. But the most important thing is to not operate from your head, but operate from your heart. And of course, in all of the languages, well, in most of the languages, the mind is the heart. And love is in the fluid, in the blood that's in the heart. So in order for us to get to the heart and out of the head, it's to start with the head and find out where in our experiences did we receive love, did we feel that we were loved, whether it was grandma and cookies or our first date. doesn't matter where it comes from because it will all bring the same feeling, which is nothing but pure love. And then we let go of the experience and keep the feeling, hold that feeling in the heart. And that's the feeling that we will pronounce, that we will share with the rest of the world, wherever you decide to go with that, whether it be Syria, whether it be Afghanistan, whether it be Iraq, whether it be England, whether it be Russia, whether it be Miami, whether it be the border, any place that you perceive pain to be, prisons, hospitals, funeral homes, cemeteries, wherever you perceive the absence of love to be, the absence of light to be, that's where you project it.
there's a commercial that comes on everywhere. Uh, that's a, an insurance company. It's uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. But uh, the spokesperson says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And so going back to Dina's kindness and her expressions of her perception of me, it's only because I've lived for as long as I've lived and I've seen all of the mistakes that could be made because I made them. So if you had known me 50 years ago, you would not have had the same opinion that you do today. <laughs> but uh, I've had a lot of practice. And what makes you smart is when you have a lot of practice at doing it wrong. That's what makes you smart. Because you sort of back into the wisdom. Because you've done everything <laughs> crazy and erroneously. And you realize that this doesn't work. There's no point in me holding on to this. And I'd better listen to those guys who are wiser and older than I am. So, I can't take the credit. That's what I'm saying. You know, I'd love to take the credit, but I can't take the credit. You know, I was blessed by the experiences that made me smarter because I saw what I didn't like about myself. That's how we learn. Thank you all so very much for coming and for wishing to make the world a better place to live in and be in. We thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your wisdom and sharing your wisdom. Everyone have a great day. Smile at a stranger. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.